Shit Places. A story by Sky Odsley. Part 2. Bill and Roy managed to waste the remainder of time before their flight quite effectively. It took no time for Bill to realize that Roy hadn't exaggerated about being flat broke. But somehow, this didn't stop the old guy from shopping. Even after the coffee, the beer, the plane ticket, Roy made no refusal for Bill to buy him more things. In fact, he pretty much demanded it by just grabbing items on their way through the airport's novelty shops and convenience stands. A pretzel, sunglasses, a donut, swimming trunks, a turkey sandwich, two bottles of water, condoms, a few pornographic magazines, a pack of Swisher Sweet Cigarellos, a pair of nail clippers with pearl inlay, one banana, a fifth of brandy, and finally, a backpack to carry it all. The two new travel partners then stopped amid an empty row of chairs so Roy could stuff all these goods into his new bag. He used the nail clippers to remove the tags from the shoulder strap before throwing them away along with the many receipts and plastic wrappings from the magazines. Then he stood bent at the waist, organizing it all into the different pockets. Travel light, Bill remarked, shifting his own red tote into his other hand. You talk too much, Roy said, not looking up. If we're going to do this right, you got to stay shut the fuck up. Bill was used to being bossed around at work, but the rude comment caught him by surprise. I'm sorry, he said, faking amusement. I didn't know the plan had already been laid out. So I'm the scary quiet one then, is that it? Let you do the talking, boss? Cut it with that shit too, Roy whined, shaking his head. Tail is mighty hard to rope down there, despite it still being the Wild West. You've invited me along for God knows what, but before we get too friendly, there's two things you should know. Fucking is really important to me, and if someone screws me out of an opportunity to fuck, I get pretty goddamn pissed. Right now, the suit, the buzzed hair, your whole aura, it just kind of screams unfuckable. And you cracking bad jokes isn't improving things. Jesus, Roy, Bill winced. What a subtle critique. And don't use my real name, Roy said, finally looking up and pointing a finger in Bill's face. From this moment on, I'm Fernando. You got it? I'm not calling you that, Bill said. Roy zipped his bag closed and slung it over his shoulder, stuffing the remainder of his pretzel into his breast pocket. Fine, he said. But before we fly out of here, let's get some things straight. You're going to Phoenix on account of a woman, right? Yeah, Bill said. My wife. Well, I am too, Roy replied, 
still agitated, but calmer. Difference is, I'm going down there for more than one. Dozens, in fact. Hundreds, if I can. Last thing I need is some egghead in tow acting like my bastard stepson I drop down the stairs too many times. The gig starts pronto. That means with the flight attendants, the other gals on the plane, hell, even that big one vacuuming the floor over there. You got a snap too. You're killing my vibe, dude. How? Bill asked, placating Roy's question. Right now, the look is all wrong, Roy said, gesturing to the space between them. Together, we've got this taken dad back to the retirement home look about us. Neither of us have much luggage, me looking all bewildered and out of sorts from getting jumped, and you, well, you just diligently trailing behind me like I got dementia and might pee on something. We might get a few sympathetic smiles, but nobody's gonna suck our dicks in a bathroom. I didn't know this was scent of a woman, Bill said. Well, it might be for you, Roy grumbled, digging into the bag once again. Hate to do this, but you leave me no choice. In one quick motion, Roy's hands came out of the backpack with a pair of open handcuffs, locking one around Bill's right wrist and the other loosely around his own left. Then he held up the key and crammed it in his mouth, swallowing hard and pulling out a bottle of water to wash it down. What on earth, Bill yelled, staring at how closely they were now tethered. Quiet down, Roy whispered, giving him an assured pat on the chest. It's just a sex toy. I stole them at that backpack shop. They're not going to hurt you. I doubt this is any kind of sturdy metal. It's probably made in Indonesia. I'll shit the key out when we land, and even if I don't, a pair of good pliers would take care of these in no time. But for now, here's the plan. You're the feds, and I'm the fugitive. Got it? Why are we going to Phoenix? Bill asked, deciding to just play along. What am I bringing you in for? I hadn't thought that far, Roy shrugged. Let's ease back on the details. Makes things cluttered. Just look pissed off and like you're in a hurry, and I'll handle the rest. Aye, Captain, Bill said, figuring it was only a short flight and that they'd be sitting next to each other anyway. Plus, it would only add to the story once he found Margaret. Now listen, Roy said, glancing around. You work for the Pentagon, and I'm Fernando Gilwain, outlaw for once no longer at large. Got it, Bill said, slinging his tote back over his shoulder. Let's make this quick, Gilwan. You've got a ditch to dig, and I'm needed back in Washington. Stick to grunts, Roy suggested, shouldering his own. But yes, that's much better. Can I ask you something? Bill asked. Honestly? What is it? Roy grumbled, 
Are you really a criminal? Bill asked. Like, in real life? What is real life? Roy scoffed. But yes, probably. Now come on. Once they left the row of chairs, Bill took the lead, tugging Roy behind him and cramming his other hand into his pocket. He did his best to sharpen his brow and put on a sneer. He hadn't acted since high school, but the fun of doing it returned instantly. Suddenly, he was Robert De Niro with no time to waste, his slacks cutting through the dull airport bustle with just another scumbag to put behind bars. Roy was even having a hard time keeping up, almost skipping and tripping to not be yanked by the arm. Slow it down, would ya? Roy asked quietly. I'm an old man, I can't run. Shut it, you degenerate, Bill lectured, now entirely in character. If you don't get moving, that arm's not the only thing I'm gonna break off. Oh, for Christ's sake, Roy muttered. That's our gate, Bill said, pointing a sturdy index finger. Looks like the end of the line for you, old-timer. You've robbed your last train, you hear? Roy just rubbed his eyes, embarrassed that Bill had also taken the liberty of adopting an out-of-style New York accent. They approached the boarding line, and Bill pulled out their tickets, handing them off to the attendant without looking her in the face. Instead, he studied their plane parked just beyond the wall of glass, silently scrutinizing its design. Something the matter? the attendant asked, unimpressed by both of them. It doesn't look fast enough, Bill answered quickly. The sooner this man is behind bars, the sooner we can all sleep at night, Missy. The attendant rolled her eyes and pointed to the open fly of Roy's pants. Paperwork, she demanded. Your dad here looks likely to piss himself during turbulence, and I don't see a badge anywhere on you. Did you leave it back at the saloon where you picked up this vagrant? Bill held his cool and kept his tight frown despite her tone, shoving their tickets across the counter. Save it for the boys in blue, he said. Just make sure they got enough gin on that bird to drown the day I've had. I'm not letting you on this plane, the attendant said, shaking her head and sliding back the tickets. Excuse me, Bill asked. On account of what, lady? On account of your crazy ass, she said. We don't let crazy people on planes anymore, thank God. You and your senile sex slave there are going to have to take the bus to Phoenix. And if you call me Missy or Lady one more time, I'll see to it that you never fly on Southwest Airlines again. Is that understood? Loud and clear, Bill said, abruptly blowing his cover. By this point, Roy had finished his banana, thrown away the peel, and moved on to the donut. Let's start over, Bill suggested, gently sliding the tickets back to the attendant and reading her name tag. My sincerest apologies, Mrs. Tanya. 
I didn't mean to ruffle your feathers. But the honest truth is, me and Fernando here need to get on that jet. Paperwork, she said again, interrupting him. The names you're spouting don't match the ones on these tickets, and the handcuffs are just weird, and not to mention a bit of a danger to the others on board. Narrow-ass aisles and whatnot. Lose the attitude in handcuffs, and I'll think about it. How's that sound? He swallowed the key, Bill confessed, now completely dropping the act. The attendant looked them both over, sucking her teeth as she picked the tickets back up. Fifty bucks cash, she said, holding them out. Seriously? Bill asked. You're asking for a bribe? Should be nothing new to you, Serpico, she said. If you want to get to Phoenix today, I'm going to need to see some cash and that sandwich the old fart has hiding in his bag. Just give it to her, Bill muttered, nudging Roy for the turkey club as he pulled out his wallet. Chapter 7 When there is nothing to compare love to, when it's that first time, there really isn't any expectation or disappointment. In the beginning, every part of love is good, even the bad parts. Riley was Maddie's first time, not just in the expected sense that he'd taken her virginity, but also in the much more forgotten and romantic way everyone first experiences love. His slender, knobby hands, marked with scars and dents, had certainly touched her plenty. But the energy between his hands and her skin, that throbbing hum so soft and stinging, was not just physical and not exclusively sexual. It'd been that moment, that first moment in his car, long before actual sex, when Maddie had grown right up, straight from dolls and Play-Doh, head first through the ceiling and out into the adult world. The hands had made her realize that she wasn't going to be a kid forever. Until that point, growing up had seemed scary. There was too much responsibility and it didn't look like much fun. But then, no fun had ever felt like Riley's hands. That tingle in her shoes and behind her ears. The blue, waving light through the car's back seat windows. That feeling must have been what made adult life worth living. No wonder there were so many grumpy adults. After all, Riley only had two hands. Everyone else must have been missing out, or spending their lives still searching. But Maddie had been lucky. Not only had she already found true love by the age of 18, but she'd hardly had to search for it at all. All she'd done was taken her dad's car to the shop for an oil change. And all Riley had done was wheel himself out from under a station wagon, 
Look at her ankles, up at her knees, over her thighs, for a while too long at her breasts, and then up into her eyes. She'd forgiven him for the gawk, figuring he was lying on his back on the floor and couldn't help it. Plus, she'd been wearing miniskirts a lot that summer, and they had that effect on all men's eyes, young and old. She'd already learned to ignore the stares, but as Riley had sat up, wiping oil off his hands with a rag, she'd wanted him to keep looking. Look all the way back down, then all the way back up. Then, as if he could hear her thoughts, or was just already that in tune with her mind, Riley had done exactly that coughing a howdy as he passed over her thighs a second time and locked eyes with her once more. That'd been a month ago, however, for a teenager, a lifetime. And now the thrill, that hum, that tingle, was starting to hide like the cockroaches in Riley's kitchen, only coming out in the dark of night to curl limbs and drag teeth. This time of day, the late afternoon, with that familiar pale blue hovering from outside his bedroom window, Maddie felt uncertain about all of it because that was when she got to feel how alone being an adult was. His hands were still right there, one over her lace-covered breast, the other wedged behind her knee. But Riley was asleep, squeezing her like a pillow as his eyelashes fluttered. If it wasn't real love, then what was it? Maddie didn't have a clue, and that made her feel young and dumb. But surely there were other things yet to come more powerful romance, deeper feelings, unimaginable happiness. Hopefully, anyway. But lately, at times like this, right after making love, Riley would fall asleep and leave Maddie lying awake alone to worry by herself. They'd only been living together for half an hour by this point, but already it seemed settled in and old-fashioned. He'd given her a drawer in his dresser by throwing some of his own sweaters into a laundry basket on the floor. He'd stuck her toothbrush right beside his in the cup on the sink, and he'd even neatly sat her teddy bear upright on his unmade bed. But then they'd quickly begun to kiss, nearly undressed, made love, and then he'd fallen asleep. It was the same as it always been. But now this filthy place was her home. This crumb-filled bed was her bed. The front porch, littered with beer cans and cigarette butts, was her porch, and that awful bathroom 
browned with mold, was the only place there was to go pee. She moved Riley's dead hand from her breast and slid her bra strap back up her shoulder, sitting up and grabbing the teddy bear from beneath the tangled sheets. She looked into its beady button eyes, suddenly thinking about her mom. Her mom had given her the bear a long time ago. Maybe that was why she always hung on to it. Really, Maddie didn't know why. The bear had always just brought her comfort. But now that comfort was gone. Because she wasn't a kid anymore. She hucked the bear across the room where it hit a wall and fell atop a pile of clothes, face down. Where do I even start, she thought. The bathroom made the most sense. Or maybe the porch. God, that porch was awful. She picked up her white satin dress from the floor, but then threw it across the room as well. A cocktail dress wouldn't do for cleaning. Plus, it was her nicest one. She'd hate herself if she stained it. And how could she afford another one? Dads didn't buy their grown-up daughter's clothes. But then who did? Riley hated them all. He just wore the same clothes every day. Would she be expected to as well? The worries began to pile up quicker than before. Maddie opened her drawer but realized nothing she'd brought would do. Not even her stretchy pants. She couldn't risk messing those up either. She looked around the room and picked up a pair of Riley's jeans, pulling them on. They were too small for her butt, so she jumped in place, fighting to get them zipped up. The sound woke Riley up, and he yawned, reaching for his hat on the bedpost and smiling at her. What are you doing, he asked. Are you trying on my pants? What size are you even, she asked, frustrated. I'm not this fat. I don't know, like a 30 or something, Riley said, sitting up. Hey, what's the matter? Are you okay? No, Maddie said. I'm not okay. Riley climbed out of bed and searched the floor for his boxers. Is it your mom, he asked, putting on a pair. Listen, I know that funeral was probably weird and shit. I love you. In the last month, I love you had taken the place of any thoughtful statement Riley should have said. Each time a serious conversation would start, all Riley could ever think to say was, I love you. The repetition made the words less sincere, less appealing. They'd even begun to make Maddie cringe at times like this. Maddie shuddered and picked up a big black t-shirt from the floor and pulled it over her head inside out not saying anything back. Hey, Riley said softly, 
taking her by the elbow and trying to pull her back into the bed. Be happy right now. Why? she asked, sounding annoyed. Because I love you, he said. That's not going to cut it this time, she said. I love you too, and you know that. But if I'm going to live here, we got to fix some shit up. What do you mean, Riley asked, sitting down to pull on his socks. Like the bathroom? Listen, I got to get back to the shop. Foreman let me duck out to pick you up, but the mayor's Cadillac is up on stilts and needs to be down and running by morning. So unless you want me gone all night long, I gotta jet back to work and finish that shit up. Maddie just looked at the floor, hoping he wouldn't say, I love you again. Fine, just go, she said, folding her arms and sticking out her bottom lip. But what time are you coming home? Riley sat back down on the bed to put on a different pair of his jeans and pull on his boots. I like the way you say that, he said. Makes it sound like our home. I like that. Then he stood up and pulled the t-shirt off of her, turned it right side out, and put it on himself, kissing her on the cheek as he reached for his keys on the dresser. It's hard to say, he confessed. Could be nine or maybe later. I promise I'll skip the rattlesnake if the guys are going. I'll pick you up either way if we gotta go, though. I'll call you. But depending, it could be late. Brake lines are a bitch. I don't want to go to the rattlesnake, she grumbled. Bruce doesn't put any rum in my drink anymore since he found out Pat's my grandma. I don't want to sit there drinking Diet Dr. Pepper while you get drunk. It's Tyler's birthday, Riley said, as if that would end the matter. We gotta at least make an appearance. I'll pick you up, but I'll call you first. Then he pinched her chin and kissed her goodbye, but ran out the door before she had time to argue anymore. The rickety front door swung open and slammed shut, and then his car engine roared to life and took off down the gravel road. Maddie looked at herself in the mirror above the dresser. Her purple lace bra was beginning to fray where Riley's calluses had snagged away the fabric. Less than an hour had passed and she was already coming apart at the seams. She zipped the jeans and buttoned them shut, finding a different black shirt on the floor and putting it on. Then she went into the kitchen barefoot, realizing she hadn't packed any shoes other than the silver heels she'd worn to the funeral. The floor was caked with spilled beer and dog food, but thankfully Riley's dog always lived outside in the garage. Otherwise, its turds would be in here too. She kicked some pellets aside and dug around by the back door for a pair of Riley's sneakers. All she found were rain boots, but they would do just fine. She put them on and knelt, looking under the sink for a sponge and cleaner. It was strange. 
Her dad and her boyfriend were both supposedly grown men with cars, jobs, and places of their own. But back at her old house, there was always sponges, cleaner, towels, and gloves under the sink. It'd been that way her whole life. But under Riley's sink, there was just a bag of birdseed that looked like it'd been there since the 50s. It was coated in white mold, and the bag had split open and spilled, rotting the wet wood beneath it. Then she noticed a big spider hanging from a web above it and shrieked, slamming the cupboard door shut and crawling backwards on her hands and butt across the filthy floor. Ugh, she shuddered, clutching herself and looking around. If this was what being a grown-up involved, maybe Riley's hands weren't worth it after all. She couldn't stay here, not with spiders like that sharing the house. She got up and ran into the bathroom and plucked her toothbrush out of the cup, sticking it in the back pocket of the jeans as she crossed the hall. Then she went to the bedroom and gathered a few of the nicer dresses from the drawer while leaving some behind. She packed her suitcase back up, throwing the teddy bear in along with the silver heels, but not folding anything, just cramming it all in before zipping it shut. Then she made Riley's bed for him, even fluffing the pillows. She opened the nightstand drawer and dug around through all the condoms and found a pen and an empty pack of cigarettes. She tore the pack apart, opening it up and laying the white cardboard inside flat on the bed. Then she threw herself down beside it, thinking a minute and chewing the end of the pen. She tested the ink on the back of her hand and then began to write. Don't worry. That was all she could think to say. She propped the note on the pillows and sat the pen beside it, looking it over to make sure it wouldn't fall. Then she picked up her suitcase, crossed the living room, latched the front door, and left out the back door in the kitchen. Cutting through the backyard and hopping the fence was the quickest shortcut to her grandma, Pat's house, just down the block. Other times, when Riley had gone to work or fallen asleep, Maddie would sneak out and climb the fence just to use her grandmother's bathroom instead of his. This situation was really no different than those times before, except now she was in rubber boots and jeans dragging a suitcase through the dead grass and trying not to cry. Her face was puffy and pink, and already the tears had begun to pour out. She snorted, wiping her nose with her wrist as she tossed the suitcase into the neighbor's yard and stuck the rain boot's toe into the bottom links of the fence. She'd only been a grown-up for a few minutes, and already she'd failed at it. Her hands looked so small, like a child's, as they reached over her head, grabbing the rail 
and pulling herself up. Chapter 8 Kyle was stomping the pixelated gun-toting rigs through an aircraft hangar entering the third level of his Super Nintendo's Lethal Weapon video game. A black blob, almost the shape of a human, poked out from behind a stack of crates and Kyle fired upon the shadow, knocking it back where it began to flash, then disappear. Compared to the handling of modern video games, archaic games like this were easy. Kyle didn't even have the ability to aim. All he had to do was press a single button and the little Mel Gibson would shoot down whoever stood in his way. In the distance, a helicopter was beginning to spin its propellers. He'd need to hurry if he was going to ride that thing, holding it by the landing bars, of course into level four. Another dark blob appeared and Kyle hit a different button, this time throwing a grenade. The explosion was bright yellow and orange, but the figure died the same way, floating back in a stagger before flashing, then disappearing. He stomped Riggs ahead through the flames, unharmed. Then Kyle heard the kitchen door swing open and something heavy hit the floor. Then he heard crying and pressed the start button, pausing the game and sitting still to listen. I just can't, he heard his sister say from the other side of the house. Madison, his grandmother lectured, pulling open the fridge. No man is perfect. Riley doesn't cheat on you. He doesn't give you any grief. He drives your ass all over town, and he's got himself a job. You ought to rope him down while you can. Lord, I'd give both my ass cheeks for a chance with a young man like that. Trust me, you got it good. Kyle stared at the paused screen, wondering what on earth he would trade his butt for. So the floor's a little dirty, Pat went on, cracking a beer and sitting back down at the table. Then clean the damn floor. Chances are, you clean it, it might stay that way. Or just don't drop nothing on it. That's how I keep mine clean. But the porch, Maddie whined, and this spider was so huge. Spiders are smart creatures, Pat said, taking a slurp. Plus, they're harmless. They kill them other worse bugs. You always say that, Maddie argued. Yeah, well, that's because that's the way it is, Pat replied. I bet you ask Riley to kill the thing or throw it outside, and he would. That boy loves you. I hear him say it all the time. He tells me it every time I see him down at the rattlesnake. He comes up to my booth all chagrined, big thumbs in his pockets. Oh, missus, I sure love your granddaughter to heck. What a nice fella that boy is, coming up and talking to an old lady like me. You ought to throw that suitcase back over the fence before he's done working on Bob's Cadillac. Running off on a man is the easiest way to set him free. Nothing says, go on then, like going on then yourself. Not one or two of them girls at the Rattlesnake like him. 
all of them like him. But I watch him. He doesn't say nothing to them because he likes you. You break up with him and he'll have a new girlfriend in two days. Then you'll be stuck dating that Wheeler boy with the glass eye and the gimp arm. Grandma, stop it. All I'm saying is the truth, Pat shrugged. It ain't like you're going to go off to some college and meet Burt Reynolds. Who's that? Maddie asked. Never mind, Pat said. Look, you can stay here as long as you want. You know this is always your home. But now I've nearly got a full house. I told your brother I have to work tonight, so you two are going to be here alone. Don't you drink none of my beer, you hear me? And don't use that fire pit neither. Last time I came home, it was dawn and it was still smoldering. You two trying to burn down my house or something? Jesus, I tell you. Don't feed Panther nothing either. That stupid cat already eats five times a day. Kyle's here? Maddie asked, her voice perking up. Well, yeah, Pat said, motioning to a closed door. He's in the Nintendo room, probably playing with himself. I'd knock first. Grandma, gross, Maddie shouted, getting up from the table. Kyle left the game paused and tossed the controller onto the carpet, frowning in embarrassment. Go on and knock, he heard his grandma say. I suppose that dopey dad of yours has finally spilled his marbles or some shit. Kyle sounded kind of shook up by it. You two can stay as long as you like, but I'm headed to the rattlesnake in a bit, and I might not come back soon. There's hot dogs in the fridge, and there's buns in the drawer. Kyle heard a soft knock at the door and picked his controller back up. Uh, Yeah, he feigned, as if he'd heard nothing. Uh, Who is it? It's me, Maddie said. Can I come in? It's a free country, Kyle said, trying to not sound relieved that she'd come back so soon. The door creaked open and Maddie poked her head into the room, her golden hair tumbling out from behind one ear. Lethal weapon, she asked, wrinkling her nose at him. I get to be Murtaugh. Duh, Kyle said, tossing her the other controller as she sat down on the floor beside him. I'm all ready to the hangar, but I'll start it over. How's Dad? Maddie asked. Does he miss me already? Wouldn't know, Kyle said, climbing to his knees and resetting the game by removing the cartridge blowing on it and then sticking it back in. Something tells me he's still gone. Really? Maddie asked, surprised. What tells you that? Just a feeling, Kyle shrugged, pressing a few buttons on his controller and scrolling through the game's intro. He didn't say anything at all. He just drove off. Well, where do you think he went? she asked, selecting Danny Glover from the flashing screen. I don't know, Kyle said. But if you're here now, we can just go back later and see. I just didn't want to stay there by myself. I know what you mean, she said, shooting a few dark figures in the opening level. 
That's how I feel about Riley's. I don't know why you like that guy, Kyle said, sliding over to give her more room on the carpet. Me either, she said in a goofy voice, watching the screen. Kyle liked his sister's face, especially in the glow of blue from the old television. He wanted to tell her how happy he was that she'd showed up, but he didn't know how to say it without sounding dumb. She glanced at him sideways. You died already, she said. Kyle looked up at the screen. Riggs was floating back and flashing. Shot down in level one. Damn it, he grumbled, throwing down the controller. It's all right, she said. We can start over. Then the door creaked open behind them, and they both turned. If only it were that easy, Pat said, poking her head into the room. Life is a game, but you gotta play it till the end. Nobody gets a do-over. Who made that rule, Kyle asked. Fuck if I know, Pat said, crushing an empty beer can in her hand and chucking it into the room's wastebasket. They probably got answers to that at a church or some shit. You kids are too grown to wonder like you do. I blame that emotional head case that raised you. Poor asshole's probably on his way to Phoenix right now thinking about the same thing. Where mom lived? Maddie asked. Yeah, Pat said, feeling that she'd already shared too much. Anyway, I gotta head out. No fires, you hear me? But before they could reply, she shut the door and left the house, slowly crossing her little lawn and walking down the sidewalk toward the town's main drag. You think Dad's really going to Phoenix? Maddie whispered. Kyle sat up on his knees, resetting the game once again. Why would he go there? he asked. It's not like Mom's still alive. Chapter 9 The Econo Motel's manager, Brian, pulled into the reserved spot outside his office door and killed the engine, wedging his burly self sideways to squeeze out of the little car. With his sport coat, briefcase, mug of coffee, and Sunday paper, his arms were loaded full, so getting up from behind the wheel was a struggle especially because of his big gut and massive ass. He crammed the newspaper between his teeth and shoved the jacket in his armpit, lunging forward and wheezing. Wayne was just coming down the outdoor set of stairs by the pool, presumably from whatever room a maid was hiding in at the moment. The young hunk irritated Brian purely out of jealousy. But Wayne also helped out whenever a pipe burst or window broke, oftentimes for free. Wayne, despite being so damn pretty, was irreplaceably handy. The only problem was all the girls thought this way about him too. So every day, whether it was to visit Gloria, Margaret, Betty, Heather, or one of the other cleaning gals, 
Wayne was always either coming or going. And as he stomped down the steps, tucking in his shirt, Brian could tell he was currently on his way out. Hey, Wayne, Brian grunted, still stuck in his car. You come here a sec, would you? Wayne lit the cigarette hanging in his mouth and offered Brian a hand. Take this here, Brian said, handing him the coffee cup and briefcase. I can manage with my hands free. Wayne set both things on the hood of the car and reached in, grabbing Brian by the elbow and shoulder and hoisting him out. I'm fine, Brian grumped, squirming. Let go of me. Ah, hell. You ought to trade this roadster in for a more comfortable ride, Wayne said. Brian adjusted his tie, straightening himself before picking up the coffee. I don't need four doors, Brian grumbled, embarrassed. I ain't an old man yet. Plus, I got no wife and kids to drive around. This little car just does fine for a bachelor like myself. This car fits you like a rubber, Wayne said. I'm just saying, you might want to look into a Buick. They got a little more elbow room. You saying I got big elbows, boy? Brian shot back. Thick bones run in my family, son. I'm a direct descendant of giants, you hear me? My people used to pull trees right out of the ground. Just because I don't fit into a t-shirt like you doesn't mean I gotta drive around in some old lady car. Now shove off and give me some room. Sorry, boss, Wayne shrugged, walking away. But hey now, hang on a sec, Brian called to him. You seen Gloria around? She ain't been pulling the double duty she said she would since poor Margaret passed on. Wayne was aware of Brian mixing up the girls' names. He'd been playing along since meeting them both. But hearing Brian talk like Gloria was still alive got to him and choked him up. It'd only been a few days and his love for the dead girl was still burning inside him. Hotter than ever. He took a long drag and stared into the pool, picturing her floating there. Nah, Wayne said. I ain't seen nobody yet today. Well, what were you doing up in room 28 then, Brian asked, pulling his jacket over his shoulders. You finally get that toilet running? It runs, Wayne said, looking up toward the room where he'd just left Margaret crying. Look, I gotta get back. If you see Margaret, tell her... Wayne struggled for words, pausing for another drag of smoke and a glance into the pool. Well, tell her what, Brian laughed. You think I'm some goddamn clairvoyant? Margaret's dead, you numbskull. You got anything to say to her, you can shout it out a window. Right, Wayne said with a sigh. It's all right, kid, Brian said, razzing him. I got them confused all the time, too. Now I suppose there's only one, so no more of that. Unless I can find me another one to hire. Maybe they come from a factory across the border. Boy, that'd be a nice racket. Wayne turned and walked toward his truck, 
not wanting Brian to see the tear in his eye. I'll tell Gloria you said hello, Brian called to him. Don't worry, I got you covered. And bring a snake for the tub drain in room 11 by sometime tonight if you get a chance. Wayne gave a half-hearted thumbs up as he climbed into his truck, tossed the butt of his cigarette out the window, and started it up. Then he pulled out of the lot and onto the torn-up road lined with construction cones and orange fencing. Just as the truck took a left and vanished behind a building, Margaret came out of room 28 with her uniform top unbuttoned and her hair tangled in a knot. Brian didn't at all mind the view of her open cleavage, but he did mind that she obviously hadn't been cleaning a thing in there. Now what's all this, Brian lectured, watching her stagger down the steps while putting on her shoes. You get enough beauty rest up there, princess? Fuck off, Brian, she said, shoving past him. Now hang on two shakes, he muttered, grabbing her by the arm. You don't get a bark at me, you hear? Oh, suck a dick, she yelled, smacking him in the arm. Let go of me, you oaf. I quit. To hell with this dump, and to hell with you. No shit, huh? Brian said, amused but not letting go of her. Big britches on you today, Gloria. You find a 50 under a mattress or something? Think you're going to own this town by next week? Where are you going to live without me putting you up? I don't need you, she yelled, wrestling him off of her. I don't need anybody. You fuck off. She managed to free herself by letting him grab her by the sleeve as she slid out of the shirt completely. He dug his fingers into the fabric till his knuckles turned white, but she'd spun away and stumbled in just her bra and skirt toward the edge of the pool, wrapping her arms around herself. Now that's more like it, Brian said, smirking at her. I ought to make you work like that from now on. She wanted the shirt back, but didn't want to go near him, cowering instead. Thankful she at least had her shoes on. Go on and walk out, Brian said, teasing her. Head on down the street and see who else will pay you ten bucks an hour to sleep all day. Give me back my shirt, she grumbled. It ain't yours, Brian said, throwing it right in the pool. It belongs to the motel. And so do you if you want your next paycheck. Now get back to work. As much of a pig as Brian was, he'd grown accustomed to fighting with his staff regularly, but was too soft to ever bring the axe down and actually fire someone. It was perhaps his only kind trait. Clean the sheets in 28, he said, taking his briefcase off the hood of his car. I'm only assuming you and Wayne were up there making whoopee. You must be really something, Gloria. Bringing tears to a young man's eyes like that ain't easy for a gal your age. You must be really something. Margaret was on her knees now, 
reaching out over the pool as her shirt floated by. But I suppose every man likes himself liver and onions now and again, Brian remarked, staring at her bare shoulders as she strained to get a hold of the shirt. Yeah, a meal like that makes a guy appreciate a real steak when it comes around. Speaking of, I wanted to talk to you about Margaret. With her dying off the way she did, well, there's a lot of slack that needs to be picked up. Uh-huh, the real Margaret said, half listening as she pulled her soaked uniform to the edge and wrung it out. Uh-huh is right, Brian scolded. That means you. I want all the rooms cleaned and vacuumed before you take off to visit your little boy toy at the lounge tonight. They better be clean, or else. Or else what, she mocked, putting the damp shirt back on and buttoning it up. Or else he can start letting you stay at his place, Brian warned. Now I mean it. Get to work. He ain't my boy, Margaret snarled, wrapping up a hose and straightening the patio furniture. Yeah, Brian agreed. He probably liked you more when there were two of you. I sure as hell did. Then Brian slammed his car door shut and walked to his office, fumbling for his keys and almost dropping his paper. Margaret went back up the stairs and into the janitor closet, kicking aside the brooms and searching the messy floor for the vacuum cleaner. Chapter 10 Gin, Roy said politely, and peanuts. Club soda or tonic, the flight attendant asked, a unique softness to her voice. Well, neither, Roy replied, even softer. Spare the glass as well. Better make it too. The stewardess was pretty, Shiny red hair up in a bun, but falling out enough to frame her cheekbones. Slender hands, big green eyes, and skin the color of latte foam dusted with nutmeg. She was either 35 or 55. It was impossible to tell. And she looked Roy right in the eyes every time he said something. Right into his soul. Roy took the tiny bottles from her fingers and sat them on the little pull-down tray above his lap, glancing at her name badge as she dug in the cart for peanuts. Petunia, he said, reading it aloud. Now that's not your real name and you know it. You caught me, she said. And I suppose the handcuffs are just an act as well. Bill was seated directly between this flirty charade, crammed in the aisle seat with Roy at the window and their shackled hands exposed on the armrest between them. It wasn't all bad, though. This Petunia girl had to lean over him to pass each thing to Roy, and when she did, her perfume reminded Bill of bare, pale flesh. The image of it flashing in his mind as her bosom lowered over his nose. 
but she'd been lingering at their row a little bit longer than the other passengers probably appreciated, because Roy wouldn't shut the hell up. They're finally bringing me in, Roy confessed to her, lifting the cuffs and adjusting his wrist. About time the feds caught up with me. She smirked, tossing the peanuts onto his tray. Pretty sad last meal, she noted. If you play your cards right, I'll find you a cupcake in here. We'll just say it's your birthday. I might need help eating it, Roy replied, raising an eyebrow at her. Oh, Jesus, Bill muttered, rubbing his temples. Don't mind him, Roy said to her, nodding at Bill. He just needs a Valium. Poor boy saw a lot of shit in the Air Force. Hates flying. What's your real name, Peaches? Mine's Herb. All right there, Herb, she said. Let me pass out the rest of these nuts, and I'll come back in a bit and make sure you're buckled in. Roy only smiled, letting her scoot off with a new bounce in her step. When she was gone, Bill grabbed one of Roy's gins and took a swig. Did you hear the way she said the word nuts, Roy whispered, peeking over the back of his seat at her? I've never been so turned on in my life. Good for you, Bill said, finishing the rest of the gin and opening a bottle of water. Ask her if she's got any pliers next time. You're doing better than I thought, Roy commented, ignoring Bill's sarcasm. That dopey Broadway shit back at the boarding gate had me concerned. But your demeanor up here in the clouds is really pulling some strings. Keep it up, and I'll throw you a bone. Keep your bone to yourself, Bill said, tugging at the handcuffs. What's the matter with you, Roy asked. Well, it's not like I care, or that I'll listen, but go ahead and talk. I hate flying, Bill muttered, embarrassed. It makes me nervous. Well, is that right? Roy asked, shoving a handful of peanuts in his mouth. Ever since I was a kid, Bill said, staring into his lap. My great-uncle's grandmother died in a plane crash. Hate to break it to you, Roy said, chewing. But a heart attack probably killed her before she hit the ground. What's with you? Bill asked, irritated. What's with you? Roy asked back. I'm just assuming the gal was old. Unless you meant great as a descriptor. Great uncle's godmother. Sheesh. That's your main problem, Bob. My name is Bill, Bill said. Whatever, Roy said, throwing up a free hand. All I'm saying is you think too much. How long have we known each other? Maybe 45 minutes, Bill shrugged. Right, Roy agreed. And you've been bitching the whole time. I have things on my mind, Bill said, getting stern. Don't I know it, Roy scoffed. You don't need to tell me shit. I can read it on your face. I can see it in your hands and on the muddy toes of your loafers. I know exactly why you're going to Phoenix. And I know why you paid to bring my ass along, too. And why's that? Roy asked, humoring him. 
Because you can't stand to be alone, Roy said. Bill stared into his lap, lightly crunching the bottle of water in his hand. You said she died, Roy went on. But I'm guessing she just left you. I didn't say anything about a woman, Bill argued. Well, you didn't have to, Roy said. I might be a dumbass, but I'm not an idiot. You're going down to Phoenix to chase some poor girl down and squeeze the remaining life out of her. I can tell. And I've been there. But take it from me. If she went all the way to Phoenix, chances are slim that she'll change her mind. Best to just give up and move on. Well, is that how it ended with your wife? Bill asked. Who? Roy asked, confused. Your ex-wife in Phoenix, Bill said. The one that lives near your daughter. Oh, I made that shit up, Roy confessed, eating a few more peanuts and taking a swig of gin. Bill glared at him. What about getting robbed, Bill asked. And the pimp who stole your socks. Well, that never happened either, Roy shrugged. I washed dishes back at that California pizza kitchen at the airport. I just clocked out and sat down when you started yapping. Do you even know where the Econo Motel is, Bill said? I've never been to Phoenix in my life, Roy said, folding the bag of peanuts up and sticking it in his breast pocket. Hell, this is my first time on a plane, but I'm sure handling it better than you are, sissy boy. Don't worry, though. We'll find the place. And when we do, I want some alone time with that giraffe. Roy nodded to the back of the plane where the flight attendant was unloading the rest of her cart into a cupboard. I've spent money on worse things, I suppose, Bill sighed, seeing no point in getting upset. That's a spirit, Roy said, patting him on the chest. Now let's go use the bathroom. Maybe I can get her to hold it for me while I pee. Chapter 11 Kyle and Maddie's grandma, Pat, had been addicted to all kinds of drugs before. Cocaine, heroin, even meth for a while. But the money and sources for those kinds of highs had dwindled over time. She still loved booze, though. Beer, mostly. But that had grown beyond an addiction and into a constant. Beer was just what she drank, always, never really taking much more than a piss break between cans. But sex, that was the one thing still roped around her ankle, tugging every few hours since her 16th birthday. Because it worked like this. If she wanted a line of coke in 1987, but couldn't get one fast enough, sex was always a fine substitute. Even in 1991, if a crack pipe shattered on a tile kitchen floor, sending the precious, crumbling rock into pieces beneath a dealer's filthy stove, fucking that dealer instead 
would do just fine. And of course, if it was last call any time recently and the rattlesnake was kicking everybody out, finding a guy in the parking lot to fool around with would easily fill the gap of being low on beer and needing to save a few for morning. Sex worked in place of everything. It was a cure-all. So Pat hadn't gone a day without it in decades. Although her last good lay was in 79, the 30 years since weren't all bad, perhaps a little boring at times. But Pat brought no emotion to the bedroom, or cab of a semi, or grocery store manager's office, or wherever her rhinestone jeans hit the floor. She was just there to get some. The guy's actions didn't matter. Where he put his hands didn't matter. Hell, his face, his whole self, that didn't matter. Because Pat always kept her eyes clenched shut and her ears muted, burying herself deep into the memory of something else. The random men, their fingers and lips, that wasn't her addiction. The twist and pull of buckles or the cold porcelain sink chilling the back of her thighs, that wasn't what she craved at all. It was just one memory in particular. That's what she wanted to experience over and over and over again but she could never get there alone. Plus, being easy made other things easy. But at the age of 57, her younger competition was tough to beat. The only thing to her advantage besides her enormous breasts was her complete lack of standards. All the 22-year-old girls were too young to understand that compared to the legendary Neil Schoen, Every man on earth is a letdown, so why be choosy? The only thing that could make sex a bit unbearable was art. Like the few times when she'd blown Jerry Garcia, that fat fuck had kept playing an unplugged electric guitar the whole time, basically just tuning the thing from a hotel room chair as she crouched on her knees between his chicken-plucked thighs. Art was the thing that made a dumb man think more of himself. Enough so to pull him away from his natural sexual cravings, and instead walk him through an imaginary garden, watching his unoriginal ideas grow around him like flowers. The only thing worse than blowing an artist was getting fucked by an artist. Because then their eyes were also closed as they thought of their next song lyric. One that had nothing to do with what was happening at that moment. But fortunately, Pat had only slept with a few real artists. All the others throughout the years had just been untalented musicians or the men who carried gear and drove around those musicians. 
and since settling down in this small town to be near Maddie and Kyle, Pat hadn't met a single artist, and thankfully, not even a musician. Most of the men slumped at the Rattlesnake Bar past 1 a.m. were caked in house paint and shrouded in smoke. They spoke little, but fucked hard. Some weeks, Pat had to convince herself she hadn't already died and gone to heaven. The tale was always there waiting, every night of the week. And just like in her prime, all she had to do was sing for it. The rattlesnake had no windows. Laminate floor tiles lined the walls. Cheap plastic lawn chairs were scattered among the few round tables, and along the back corner was the bar where everyone sat. The tables, though a mess and littered with bottles and popcorn, were always empty when Pat arrived to set up her little stage between the restroom doors. She had a little four-foot square wooden pallet she'd stapled some carpet over, one microphone on a stand, and her little computer gizmo with all its stereo speakers and songs packed inside. She'd walk into the dim, smoky bar and wave at the crowd as she scooted over to the broom closet to pull these things out. She'd throw down the pallet with a loud, jarring smack, waking a few drunk men at the bar up, kick it back against the wall and straighten it beneath the Dale Earnhardt poster hanging above it. Then she'd plug the other stuff into an outlet below, grunt into the mic to make sure it still worked, and then shuffle over to the bar, turning down the lights and flipping on the disco ball as she leaned by the popcorn machine, waiting for her first of countless free beers. The gig paid a hundred bucks a night, more than she'd ever made in Vegas. But although it was a steady gig, the atmosphere made it clear that she had not made it. That she had failed. Which was why the first beer always tasted so sour. That or the rattlesnake needed to clean their tap lines. But even though it was dreary and not much of a party while setting up, Pat was the star of the show. Even on her worst days, hungover and constipated, sick with a cold or skunk drunk on a bender, she always sang beautifully. Because Pat was a real artist. Which was why she hated other artists so much. The burly bartender Bruce, just one of Pat's many steady steeds, slid her a pint of Coors Light and smiled with only half his face. The other half was probably still deciding if he'd be horny enough later to want it. Pat pulled a sweaty dollar bill out from her bra, letting Bruce get a good look at the crease where it came from before waving it in his face. Here's that dollar I owe you, she said, touching Bruce on the nose with it. Well, what's this for? Bruce asked, taking it. Last night, I bet you a dollar I wouldn't show back up here, 
remember? I do remember that. Well, Hollywood still ain't called me, Pat sighed, taking a long first slurp of her beer. So stick that one in your pocket, in case you want to smell it later. Bruce, visibly embarrassed, tucked the wet dollar into his breast pocket and poured himself a shot. Hey, turn me up, would you? Pat asked, clanking her glass to his and walking back toward the stage. Then she touched the light switches again, dimming the room a bit more before climbing up onto her carpeted pallet and taking the microphone from the stand. Hello there, she announced to the handful of folks at the bar. Just come on up between songs if you want to sing. We got no prompter, so use your phone if you don't know the lyrics. I'm your host, Pat. I'd like to dedicate this first song to my idiot son-in-law, Bill. Then she pressed select on the computer's little screen, and a light, cascading organ began to pour from the speakers. One old guy at the bar sat back in his stool, lifting his beer and trying to place the song. He'd heard it before, years and years ago. Then Pat closed her eyes and began to sing. The guy at the bar waved his bottle at Bruce, signaling for another round as he removed his ball cap and dropped it onto the bar. The song was painful and lonesome, but pretty in how frail each note was, some wanting to soar and escape while others dissolved just as they left her mouth. The old man knew the tune well, but it sounded better than it ever had that night, even through shitty speakers in a place as sad as this. Maybe that's what did it. The guy didn't want to pick it apart. So as Bruce gave him another beer and shot, he slid a few dollars and quarters near his empty bottle, keeping his eyes on the stage. She's a damn good singer, Bruce said, nodding toward Pat and taking the money. Quiet, would you? The guy snapped, cutting him off with a glare that soon faded. Forgive me, he went on, but I love this song. And I haven't heard it in a long time. Bruce just walked off. Most old men at the Rattlesnake this time of night were complete dicks. At least this dude had added, forgive me. Bruce tucked the money into his tip jar and looked into the bar mirror at Pat on stage. Given the new customer's attitude, It'd be less than an hour before he mustered the gumption to talk to Pat. Then it'd only be a matter of minutes before Pat fucked him in the basement or parking lot. This meant Bruce was off the hook for the night. Then a handful of people walked in together and went for the dirty tables by the stage. Bruce grabbed a rag and walked out from behind the bar, gathering up the old popcorn boats and beer bottles and wiping off the tables. But he kept an eye on the guy at the bar. 
He'd never seen the man before. He'd seen plenty of men like him before. Old white guys with silver beards and khaki pants. But this guy had a calmness to him. Leaning back in his stool like he was thinking of buying the whole town. Plus his turquoise jewelry really clashed with his heather gray sweater, New Balance sneakers, and San Francisco Giants baseball cap. Maybe the guy was an undercover cop. He was certainly dressed like one, aside from the jewelry. Where do we sign up? One girl asked him, taking a seat after he dusted off her chair. Talk to the beauty queen, Bruce said, pointing a thumb at Pat. And come order at the bar. I don't wait tables. This entire group was definitely underage, but Bruce made most of his money by serving underage kids. Word of this had traveled quickly through every high school in the state. This was likely a group of 15-year-olds, because the girls were all tall and dressed up, while the boys were all short, with bad skin. But one little boy got up and followed Bruce to the bar like he'd been told, leaning right next to the old guy's stool to order for the entire table. Bruce went back behind the bar and picked up an empty glass, nodding at the kid. What'll it be? Bruce asked, glancing at the old man. The old guy was still just staring at Pat, oblivious to the boy beside him. Beer, I think, the boy said, totally unsure of himself as he held out a trembling $20 bill. And vodka drinks, or something. You got it, Bruce said, beginning to pour a pitcher. You need some shots, too? Well, sure, the kid said. Make it six. Six it is, Bruce mumbled, spilling some froth. Pat's song ended, and the girls all got up and formed a line to sign up as the boy came back from the bar with his arms loaded with drinks. The old guy watched as Pat took down the girl's requests on a notepad and finished her beer. She was left-handed. It totally was her. Give me another beer, would you? The man asked, waving a few dollars at Bruce. Whatever that host lady is drinking. Bruce looked at him sideways, almost wanting to ignore him. But after a second, he grabbed a glass and started pouring a Coors Light. I wouldn't call her host lady, Bruce warned him. She doesn't respond well to being called that. Her name is Pat. I know her name, the guy said. The only thing I'm worried about is if she remembers mine.